You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. It's pretty cool that Jesus is so clearly seen on the campus at the University of Washington, as Alexa shared, in the neighborhood that we live in. And often, seeing Jesus can be one of those experiences that leaves you saying, that just happened. That just happened. Perhaps you know the type of experience that I'm talking about, that there's, there's a surprise that, that has you going, that, that just happened. Sometimes it can even be an experience that you anticipate, that you know is coming, that you're a part of, but it's just so surreal that it leaves you saying, that just happened. I, I recall about 10 years ago, I stood about where that guitar was, and, and uh, as I was walking, walking out of here, it, I, I realized, oh wow, this was just my wedding. That just happened. This is crazy. Uh, I knew it was coming, but there was still something about that moment that was like, whoa, that just happened. Uh, on, a, on a bit of a lighter note, those of you who are sports fans uh, perhaps had one of those moments a few weeks ago on Monday Night Football, Seahawks driving at the end of the game. Uh, ball goes into the end zone and we're thinking it's all over. And the next thing you know, those of us who are Seahawks fans are jumping up and down, giving high fives because that just happened. A ball that, that looked like an interception is a touchdown and that means that we win. Okay, well, well, th- that, that just happened for those of us that are Hawks fan, that was good news. But depending on your perspective, it may not be good news. As I was jumping around, I look back on the couch and my wife, who is from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, is not jumping around. Okay, She is actually a shareholder of the Green Bay Packers. And this, this that just happened was not a good that just happened. As I shared with the students at the end, after Julie got together with, you know, talked on the phone with some of her Packer cronies, 15 minutes later, she's saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm over it. I'm going to take the high road, you know, whatever. I said, great, you take the high road, we'll take the win. Perfect. Those moments of that just happened, depending on where we locate ourselves in that, can be something that is very, very good or be something that is very, very confusing, if not very bad. And that's really the type of story that we come to this morning as, as we continue on our journey uh, as a community uh, where we are, are asking, how does Jesus increase uh, in our lives and in our witness as a congregation. We come to this story in chapter 9 that C.K. Barrett has said most vividly and completely expresses John's conception of the work of Christ. Before we engage with that work is, let's pray together. Gracious God, help us understand uh, this text. Uh, help us to see you more clearly And so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John 9 begins like this. If you want to follow along, it's on page 871 in the black Bibles that are in front of you. As he walked along, he saw a blind man from, a man blind from birth. He is Jesus. Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. 
we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back and had seen him, uh, washed and came back and was able to see. Okay, that just happened. A man who was blind can now see. Now, this to me is, is a very weird story. There are several weird elements to this story. First, there is just the question about sin and, bl- and blindness. A very common question in the first century around the belief that, that when there were things like blindness, it was attributed to some sort of sin. Very common in the first century, a little weird for us in the 21st century. Second, Jesus saying that this situation has less to do with sin and more to do with God. To me, it's a little weird that someone might be blind for the purpose that Jesus articulates here. Third, and this is where the story for me gets that much weirder, is that Jesus spits on the ground and makes mud. Okay? And if that's not weird enough, he then rubs said mud on the man's eyes in some sort of weird first century spa treatment that I'm sure this man will never forget. Fifth, he tells him to go and wash in the pool. My question is, how did the dude, how did the guy know where to go to wash in the pool if he couldn't see? John leaves out the detail on how that might have happened. And then finally, and perhaps weirdest of all, a man who is blind now sees. This is a weird story. Now, there's two things in all of this weirdness that jump out to me. First is the element of surprise. The element of surprise is that element of that just happened. You see, this is a miracle of sheer grace. As you heard Olivia uh, talk about... uh, what she saw in India. We heard the students on the video talk about how they're seeing Jesus. This is a story that we come to this morning that is about seeing. But before it's about anyone seeing, before it's about a blind man seeing, what it's first and foremost about is what Jesus saw. What we just read in verse 1 talks about Jesus saw a man born blind. I think what John wants us to connect here is, is the compassionate and gracious heart of God that before we ever see, God sees us. Well, of course, as this story continues, another of the great surprises here is that this man did not ask to be healed. In other stories in the Gospels, there are healings, but they happen around if somebody asks. Nor did Jesus give an imperative like, repent, or your faith has made you well. What we have here is a story of sheer grace. There's no conditions applied to it. It's a total surprise that Jesus sees a man who cannot see and works a work with mud. That restores sight to this man. 
And so, of course, the net result of all of what has been done here is transformation. A surprise that leads to a big change, a big transformation. This is a blind man who had likely been on the margins his entire life. The story tells us he was born blind. Well, for him, his whole life is going to change. He will, he's asked, it's interesting that he's sent to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. He will no longer be in this one place. He will go out and he will go out with a message. That just happened. And for a blind man, this is really good news. Well, there's a group of people that for those that are seeing the that just happenedness of us, this is not such good news. If anything, it's just very bewildering. You see, this is just too much weirdness for the Pharisees. Now, there's a lot that can be said about the Pharisees. It's often very easy for us as Christians to throw the Pharisees under the bus a little bit. But we, we need to understand that they were a very enthusiastic Jewish reform movement that they were fired up to study the scriptures and uh, to get to know and see God uh, was, was really the desire of their heart. But at this point, they may have gotten a little too smart for their own good. These are the type of people that you would definitely want on your team if you were going to go out to a trivia night or if you're going to play Bible baffle. You want a Pharisee on your team if you're at all competitive because they're going to help you win. Well, the problem is that in a case like this, their study and their experience of God, this was just too far outside of their ability to comprehend what might have happened here. Several years ago, uh, me and my buddy, Mike Gaffney, we ran our first marathon together. And in that first marathon, we ran negative splits, which means that our second 13.1 miles was actually faster than the first 13.1 miles. Well, there was a, a friend of ours that when we told him that that we actually ran negative splits. This was just too far outside of his ability to comprehend. For, for him, this was associated to, there is no way that you can gain strength in a race that long. You cannot gain strength over, 30, you know, over 26.2 miles. There must have been something wrong with the clock. Okay? It, this friend goes on to say, you know, marathoning isn't good for you. People aren't, aren't to do that. The way that he kind of explained it away was to say, Look, I don't know if you ran negative splits or not, but you really shouldn't even be doing that. Okay? Too far outside of, of one's ability to comprehend. So instead of demonizing the Pharisees, I think we need to empathize with them. Because I know that there are those of us that are sitting in this room that we have a particular way that we think about the world. We have a particular way that we think about our faith and our life. And when there is something that just doesn't seem to add up our initial reaction is to resist it, to say that cannot be real. So let us empathize with the Pharisees instead of demonizing them. But perhaps what you're seeing in this story, what's key that we understand is that the one who had been born blind is now beginning to see clearly. And the ones who have studied hard, who have the power, are getting more and more blind. 
Well, in trying to solve this mystery and trying to explain what's going on, the Pharisees launch an investigation. It's an investigation that first leads them to the man who had been healed. And they, they simply ask him, okay, who did this? The blind man says, the one they called Jesus later on says, he's a prophet. Okay, second, the, the Pharisees look into it and they say, you know what, maybe this isn't even the guy. Uh, they start saying, maybe he just looks like somebody and this really didn't even happen at all. Well, that doesn't seem to satisfy him. So then they go to the man's parents. The man's parents uh, are probably a bit frightened by the Pharisees who had a ton of power in the society at, at, at this point. And they knew that if they gave the wrong answer, these parents would be thrown out of the temple. And the temple in, in that place was the, it was really the place that your family gained identity. So they deflect the question and say, you know, uh, we don't know exactly what happened. And look, this, this guy is of age. He can speak for himself. Okay. Nice deflection on the part of the parents. Point it back to the man. So the Pharisees go back to the man who has been healed. And that's where I want to pick up the story. And ask that we might, uh, per our tradition here at UPC, read this together. So stand if you are able. In, your, in the Bibles in front of you, chap, John chapter 9. We're going to read uh, chapters 20, or chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Hear these words that we might see Jesus a little more clearly. John 9, beginning at the 24th verse. So for the second time... They called to the man who had been blind and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already And you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Amen. Please be seated. Well, that just happened. Again, a man who had been blind is now confronting the Pharisees and asking them if they also want to be his disciples. And really, if we hear nothing else this morning, that's the question that at some point we all have to answer. Do we also want to be his disciples? Well, in a story that has so far comprised of of a surprise encounter of grace that led to transformation, it's quite interesting to me that the response of our guy is honesty. It's honesty, I think, about Jesus and it's honesty about himself. In some of the verses that we didn't read when he's first questioned about who Jesus is, he simply responds, well, his his name is Jesus. Later on in verse 17, when they're continuing to ask him, well, what is he? He says that he's a prophet. And we love this because this man is being honest without saying too much. He's not trying to explain it as he goes along. He's just merely answering the question that he's given him. That is given to him because what he could have said could have really gotten Jesus in trouble as if he wasn't in enough trouble already. He could have said, well, I was minding my own business on the Sabbath, 
when somebody came up to me, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, and he definitely spit on the ground and then worked that spit into some mud. Right now you should be hearing working on the Sabbath thing that making mud on the Sabbath would have definitely been something that the Pharisees would have said is a no-no. Well, then to boot, of course, he went on to heal him. What we love about this guy is that he is, he is honest. He just answers the question given to him without trying to convince himself of something more. It's just a very simple honesty. First about who Jesus is, but then I think a really important aspect about who he is. I love that, what he's, that when he's asked to give glory to God, in this great contrast of the Pharisees saying, we know, we know that this man is a sinner. And then our guy says, I don't know. I don't know if he's a sinner. But this I do know. I was blind and now I see. The contrast continues to build. The people who claim to know don't seem to know. And the guy who says, I don't know, is seeming to grow that much more. Jesus is becoming clear. When I finished my time at the University of Washington, like uh, many seminary students, I came to a place where I was, was confused about who Jesus was. And found, found myself going, just covered in skepticism and doubt around, could this be true? And what I, what I found is I kept my eyes open, even in the midst of these great doubts, was that the gospel was changing lives. I couldn't explain everything. But the thing that kept me in the game was that the gospel continued to change lives all around me. They were things that I didn't have proofs for. I couldn't necessarily explain how it all happened. I didn't know all the answers. But this I do know. This I was able to see was that the gospel was changing lives. The reality is that the, the truth is so much bigger than the proofs that we can give the truth. I think about my, my kids, that I could stand in front of you and tell you all of the things that I do to try and, and illustrate for you how much I love my kids. And I could give you good, solid proof and evidence. And the reality is that the net sum of all that evidence, I love them more than I would be able to prove to you. The truth is always bigger than the proofs. We can't always exhaustively explain everything. There's a great story of uh, a man from England uh, more than a century ago who came to faith during one of the great Wesleyan revivals and whose life had been radically changed after meeting Jesus. He was uh, a mine worker and he was so greatly changed that some of his friends kind of mercilessly chided him one day at lunch. And they kind of asked him in jest, hey, you don't really believe all this Jesus stuff, do you? You don't really believe that Jesus turned water into wine, do you? Well, and as the, as the story goes, the, the man 
replies and says, look, I, I, don't, I don't know what happened. I don't know if Jesus turned water into wine. I was not there. But one thing I do know is that in my house, Jesus has changed beer into furniture. The man had been healed. It had changed his life. He couldn't explain everything, but he could say, what I can tell you is that I'm different. Another weird part of this story, perhaps you noticed it, is that Jesus did the miracle and then totally disappears. How does Jesus increase in our lives even when he disappears? I think that that's an element of the story that many of us can identify with. That there can be these experiences and then Jesus seems to disappear. And yet there is an increase of Jesus in our lives. So like the blind man, the question becomes, how might we see? How might we notice this God who is active in our lives and in front of us? Three reflections that I want to make. The first is that we might be surprised, that we might allow ourselves to be surprised. In the same way that the blind man was rather unsuspecting, that we might have unsuspecting encounters with Jesus as well. Uh, when I moved to this neighborhood from the thriving metropolis of Port Angeles, Washington in the fall of 1994, I, it was not on my radar to pursue Jesus. Though I had grown up in the church, I was coming to UW to pursue a major, to pursue a career, maybe a few girls along the way, let's be honest. Okay, but it was not on my radar to pursue Jesus. So in, it, towards the end of the summer, I moved over here a little bit early to start uh, a job that I had had probably about a, a month, month and a half before instruction started. And one Sunday night, alone on campus, I ventured down to the Ab to uh, find some dinner, grab a bite to eat. And after after... I had found that and I was headed back to campus. I was walking up 47th here, uh, right in front of the six o'clock hour. And I saw people coming into this building that we call University Presbyterian Church. Rather unsuspectingly, even to me, I walked in. And I sat on, in this group of, grouping of pews towards the back by myself, though I was welcomed warmly. And there was a guy up here named Earl Palmer who was preaching out of Romans, and it was as if I was hearing the gospel for the very first time. I did not go to dinner that night expecting to go to church. I did not go to dinner that night seeking Jesus. It was a surprise to walk in here and hear something that was fresh to my ears. Now, while there was a lot of toe stubbing along the way, uh, it was a moment that was, that was very catalytic. Later on, I would get connected to the inn in similar surprising ways. And Jesus changed my life. As we look at the rhythms of our own lives, as we look at our schedules, is there room to be surprised? My fear is that we're moving so fast that in the same way that those doors were open to a building in front of me as I was walking home, 
that we might miss them? Is there an unsuspecting surprise? A door that's open that God has put before you that you're too busy to walk through. The second, of course, we've talked about is to be honest. Honest about ourselves. Honest about how we understand God. At the end of that theological crisis that I mentioned earlier, what I ultimately discovered is that as I said, I don't know, and as the way I thought about God fell apart, I found that the box was rebuilt only bigger. It was rebuilt only bigger. And what ended up happening was that I saw that God was real also in my life, not only in the work of everybody around me, but also in my life. We need to be honest about our needs. If we're sitting here this morning thinking that we don't have needs, we are not being honest with ourselves. And at the same time, we can be honest about how we know God. And if the most honest answer we have is, I don't know, perhaps we're on the road to seeing God a little more clearly. Give yourself permission to be in, a, in the place of I don't know this morning and keep your eyes open to see Jesus. Finally, we are to be changed. In our circles, we like to use the word transformed. Of course, the man that we have read about in this story is changed. His greatest, his greatest need is met and he receives his sight And the Pharisees simply wanted to see something else. They tried to explain away what was actually real for the purposes of trying to see what they wanted to see. A couple of years ago, I asked a pastor friend of mine, what do you do in your own devotional life? And he proceeded to explain to me that because he's a bit ADD, because he's a bit hyperactive, that once he puts his feet on the floor in the morning, he really has a hard time focusing on God. So, he, so what he, he proceeded to tell me was, when I get up in the morning, I stay in bed for an extra 20 minutes and I reflect on one question. And that question is, what is real? What's real? And as he would identify what was real in in his life, that would lead him into how he would pray. Pray for others, pray for himself, pray about his day. What is real? Well, as I have put that into play in my own life, one of the amazing things that has happened is that as I ask what is real, it has shown me how much more God has changed and transformed and redeemed in my own life. Often my, uh, I think it's fair to say, my sin can be traced to the ways that I fantasize. My sin can go, can be uh, connected to the, the things that, that I want, the intense desires that, that I have that, that uh, can, can sometimes get a little bit out of control. But when I stop and ask what is real, I see that God is actually so much bigger than what I think I want in those fantasies. That God has done way more in my life than I realize. I can't always explain it. But I see God and I see that God is real and that the gospel changes people's lives. Of course, at the end of this story, 
the story of a transforming surprise in human response. Our man born blind now sees clearly. And Jesus comes to him again in verse 35 and says, do you believe in the son of man to the blind man? And And the blind man answered honestly, as we could predict at this point, who is he, sir? Doesn't pretend to know. He's talking to Jesus. Who is he? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And the one speaking with you is he. The blind man said, Lord, I believe and worshiped him. May we see that we are transformed. That we are led to a place of worship. That we are moved to being from that place of blindness to sharing the hope of the cross and of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has given us sight. Let's be surprised. Let's be honest. Let's be transformed. Let us pray. Lord, thank you that you have opened our eyes and you desire to do so all the more. Help us to see you in the places that you might lead us this week. Uh, Help us to see how you have redeemed more than we tend to give you credit for. Uh, Lord, for your great compassion that you have drawn close to us, that you have seen us first. Lord, we rejoice knowing that it is a gift that we can't comprehend. So Lord, thank you and bless us as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.